What is off the groove? It means you've blown the line or you're pushing the limits a little bit too far or just maybe you might be looking for a faster way around the racetrack. Off the Groove with Scotty Dubler. Scotty Dubler. Chris Clarence Carter. (laughs) What's up, man? What's up, Carter? How are you? It's been a week since we've done this. Already? It feels like a month. Man, we've both done so many things since we talked to each other <laughs> last. I mean, I went to Texas, hung out with Bubba for a couple days and yeah, and did some stunt shows. And, and you drove up to Charlotte to hang out with your family for Halloween. Did you you know Halloween's not like Christmas, right? What do you mean? Did you guys give gifts or? Yeah, what, we always, you... yeah, we give gifts on, on Halloween. We, we each bring a bag of candy and then we hand candy to each other. Did you dress up? I did not dress up. I'm usually I usually dress up for Halloween, but it's I've just been so busy this week that I haven't even had time to think of a costume, let alone, you know, get a costume or try on a costume or wear a costume. So no no, no dress up this year. I don't I don't remember the last time I dressed up. I think uh, when I was married, we had a party at our house. Maybe when we got the house in Oklahoma. I don't know. I think that might be the last time, and I don't even remember when that was. You started this call with a helmet on. That was pretty funny. Well, I just wanted to cheer up and lighten the mood a little bit. <laughs> uh, busy weekend last weekend, though. There was uh, that Moto Beach Classic looked pretty cool. Man, that looked like a lot of fun. It was a huge event, and I think that's what maybe some of our Grand Nationals need to turn into are big events like that. You know, have some qualifying stuff on the first day, uh, set the stage for the the big night, and then you know wrap it up with a big concert or something you can't, like that. You and can't that's beat when, a location they, like that, right? Well, that's true, too. I mean, everything just jived together really, really well. Um, it looked like a lot of fun. Actually, Jordan Baber, a guy that I support, I like him because we have friends. We have mutual friends. He won on the first night. And then Andy Debrino crashed. Uh, well, Jordan Graham crashed on the first night, too. But then Andy Debrino crashed on the second day, but still locked up his second Super Hooligan Championship in a row. Yeah, congrats to Andy Debrino. We've had him on the show, and uh, who we saw some American Flat Track folks out there too. Um, we saw Shana and, and Briar were out there. Briar has a beard. Yeah, I, I didn't know he could do that. I, I mean, I, I still picture him as a little kid. I no, mean, he's he's got a he's, man beard. It's it's better than anything I could ever grow. <laughs> that's for sure. No, uh, that definitely looks yeah. like a like a cool event to go out to, and I'd love to check that one out next year. Does that always end the hooligans? season or at least the past two years or something it has well, well the super hooligans is a pretty new series i don't i don't follow it a hundred percent so i don't know if that's where they always end but i think they've been out there before i know jackie van ham who announced with us this year with american flat track she was out there and last year she said she worked with larry lawrence or uh larry huffman i don't know who was announcing it this year i've never uh, had the opportunity to go to any of the super hooligan nationals yet we'll, we'll be talking to jackie at some point too so maybe she can give us the uh, the lowdown on on the super hooligans and, and all those details and tell us about the weekend aside from what that else though, oh do you see dallas daniels he did it oh man he that, did that it. is amazing so dallas daniels won the Nikki Hayden AMA Flat Track Horizon Award. And then this last weekend, he locked up the AMA Road Racing Horizon Award. No rider in the history of motorcycles has ever done that in the same year. So congrats to him. And, and we had Nick on the show before. Dallas, we want to have you on the show here pretty soon. He turned 16 about halfway through next season. He's already signed a deal with Estenson Racing. So, man, 
the future I, I think is still bright for flat track congrats to dallas it's impressive that you know with the with the talent that's been on a motorcycle that nobody's ever done that before for him to be the first to do it it's, it's pretty badass um and not just dallas but trent Lowe put on a show this this, this past weekend too right yeah he was at mid-america and i guess they had a big money class and then they had another like a pro-am class and i know sammy halbert was there some other fast guys were there uh you know sammy wasn't on his bike i you know I, i'm not saying that that he just flat out whipped Sammy, but Trent Lowe, who's 16 now, turned 16 a couple weeks ago, beat Sammy Halbert, won the won the pro class, and I guess Sammy was right there, a close second. But uh, there's some fast guys there too. But uh, he's another one to keep our eyes out for the in the future. Yeah, I can't wait to see what these guys do when they come into the series next year. Should be fun to watch for sure. So what else is going on, man? You, I saw you went to a a Thunder game earlier. I'm going to one tonight here in Charlotte. Yeah, I went to a Thunder game. We played the L.A. Clippers. Me and Haley went. Haley got us tickets, and we had a little date night, daddy-daughter date night. We went out to eat, went to the game. And we actually won a game, which is our second of the season. And now they're in Charlotte, where you're at. So now you're going to go watch the Hornets. Whoop up on your thunder. Yeah, I'm glad that you... No, 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 no. You you said it right. The Hornets... No, no, no. You said it wrong. The Hornets are not going to get beat by the thunder. The Hornets are going to whoop the thunders. Yes, they are. No. No. They're totally going to win. I was going to say, did you know the Hornets actually played here for, for a few years when they were based out of New Orleans? This is a long story, and you can cut this out if you want. But New Orleans, when they had the hurricane, the New Orleans Hornets moved up here and played here. We sold it out every night, and I think that's part of the reason we got the pro basketball team. It was the Seattle Supersonics. We bought them and moved them here to Oklahoma City. So That's all great and everything, but as a, as, a, as a Charlatan, we do not recognize the years that the Hornets were in New Orleans, we only recognize the Charlotte Hornets. So okay, yeah. well they're, they're still gonna get beat. Enough basketball talk. You want to talk some flat track? Yeah. Who do we have a guest this week? I mean, I yeah, know we dude, had we, one in a row. We only missed one week with a guest. And oh, I promise I that's only gonna. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna do my best to make sure we only miss that one week. We do have a guest this week, um, Mr. Sean Bear. He's an exciting guest. I, I know he's a very well-spoken guy. I think he could take my job whenever he quits racing because he speaks so well about the sport, and I can't wait to talk to him. Yeah, I really don't know a ton about him, so I'm, I'm looking forward to, to the interview for myself. So uh, you want to get this started? Let's give him a call. All righty. Hello? Hey, man. What's happening? Is this, is this nine and three quarters or nine and a quarter or whatever we came up with at one point? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's who this is. <laughs> How are you? Good, not too bad. Okay. Uh, you doing any, like, trick-or-treating down your way or what? Well, I shut off all the lights out front because I don't want to be disturbed, so I'm, I'm dressed up in this dork costume that I wear 365 days a year, so I'm, I'm good to go. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, we shut the lights off, too. Bailey had the lights on, and... Uh, some people showed up, and then, yeah, she ended up giving us some stuff out of the cupboard or whatever. And then uh, little Reagan, she's like, we need to shut the lights off. So as they're walking away, she shut the light off. <laughs> she wants the candy funny. for herself, right? Yeah, because we they were getting all ready. They just went, like, they, they haven't gotten back yet from trick-or-treating. So, uh, oh, wow. So, yeah, they, okay. they, all, they all dressed up and everything. She painted, she, she wanted me to go with earlier early today. I had to do, like, the family photo. She, like, did the whole, like face paint thing and everything on everybody so yeah cool so that was kind of fun yeah so uh are you glad the season's over or are you missing going racing every weekend i guess i mean i really pick and choose anyway as it is i don't really you know a weekend thing is it happens you know for me 
you know, a couple weekends and then I'm pretty much, you know, sitting still again. Um, never really got to run a full, you know, full season, um, you know, the whole series. Right on. So one of our listeners, actually, Evan Anders, sent me a message and he wanted us to have you on. So he is one of the reasons we wanted to talk to you. And, and also, you're an interesting story that a lot of people might not know of. So I'm glad you took the time and, and are talking with us here tonight. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. So let's get to know Sean Bear. Where were you born? Uh, Lebanon, Pennsylvania. It's about 30 minutes east of Hershey, Pennsylvania. Okay, so you're a big chocolate fan? Uh, I'm not really. I mean, obviously, <laughs> being around it my whole life, it hasn't been that exciting. But there's numerous people that I've met in the racing world that, uh, you know, with, you know, us Pennsylvania guys uh, and girls, I mean, as far as, you know, everybody that, you know, obviously has came this way with Williams girls coming on the, you know, the scene, the last, you know, bringing it back on um, the last two years now, it's been more of a talked about thing. I want to say in the, in the paddock now. All right. So what's it like growing up in Pennsylvania? Uh, it's, I don't know. I mean, it's not always sunny. It's not always warm. I mean, you got that winter season. That's not so much fun, but, uh, you get all four seasons here. So it's, it's decent. I mean, racing, honestly, growing up was a, was a, you know, every weekend thing for my family and, and all the families that obviously I was connected with. Um, but that really in the last, I want to say five years, that's, you know, dwindled down to, you know, half that. And now it's even a quarter of that. I mean, we really don't have a very good, um, grassroots flat track, um, family here on the East coast. That's a weekend thing. We still have all those great people here, but we're not going to the racetrack on a weekly basis. Um, and seeing everybody like we used to, it's just changed. Why, why do you think that is? I mean, are the tracks go away or they're just no local races or what happened? Uh, I think it's a little bit of everything. I mean, honestly, you know, young kids and um, parents, um, the amount of time that my parents put in for me to be able to do what, you know, I wanted to do and what they even wanted me to do, um, which is be passionate about something. I don't know. I, I, I see a big difference in a lot of, um, and as far as the generation now raising kids, um, they're not willing to put that time in. And obviously it's scary to, you know, to send your little, you know, your little, you know, kid out there on the racetrack and let them you know, have the throttle in their hand and, and they're going to do it their way. Um, you know, that's kind of a, a scary thing. It's sort of like, you know, throwing a football and catching it. And then everybody wants to go tackle that person. You know, football I've even seen um, in the local area has dropped off too. There's just not as much participation when it comes to actually doing physical sports, I want to say. Okay. I think, you know, there, where there's so many different options of things to do nowadays, you know, back Back earlier in, in our careers, you know, we're about the same age. I think you might be quite a bit younger than me, actually. But, you know, there wasn't quite as many things to do. So if you found something, you kind of stuck with it. So I think there's just so many options. And I, I think I tend to agree, you know, getting away from the physical sports. You know, a lot of people are doing that and want to take care of each other. And I understand that, I guess. But, uh, you know, I still love flat track. So how did you get into motorcycles? It was really uh, something that, I mean, there's there's pictures in an album at my parents' place of me being held in diapers, basically at the racetrack, you know, a couple, couple weeks after I was born. So it pretty much was always just a way, um, of life, uh, as far as my father, um, and my uncles and my grandfather. I mean, um, it's pretty much just been something that, um, it's a hobby that they just love to go and, and participate, but they were always just, you know, 
people that just love to compete. So um, my grandfather never raced actually, but he built motorcycles for, you know, my uncles and my dad and stuff like that. And, and that's how they got started. They actually, my family came from horses and, uh, and that we, as we know, across the board, doesn't, doesn't usually jive real well, but uh, you know, my, my grandparents still being horse people just, you know, still love the flat track scene and still love, you know, what we do and, and they still love their horses. So it's kind of funny when I hear about that, when we travel to these different, you know, venues and stuff and, and people don't get along so-called, but I, I can understand where you don't want noise around your horses and stuff. But as far as, uh, you know, my family, it's, it's been like, we have the best of both, you know, both worlds there. So, um, yeah, it's, it's something that my family's just done. Um, you know, so I just, I really, I wouldn't say I didn't have a choice. I did. But uh, it more or less was like, well, you're going to be at the races, so you either want to ride or you just want to play in the dirt, and I wanted to ride. <laughs> well, that's a good choice. I love it. So I did some research on amanationalnumber.com, and I saw some other bears with national numbers. Bobby Bear had a national number from 49 to 53, and Jerome Bear from 66 and 67. And then, of course, your brother had national number 89 or has national number 89. So Bobby and Jerome, are those your uncles, or who are they? No, honestly, I don't have any um, relationship with them that I know of. Um, but as far as Dallas Bear and uh, Ron Bear, and then my dad's Daryl, and then uh, my brother Evan. So, um, okay. as of this generation of racing, um, you know, Evan Evan pretty much has you know hung up the steel shoe about two years ago now. Um, you know, and just just uh, again just taking on different things in life, and with him you know, taking work more serious, but at the same time, um, he's, he's into wrestling and some other sports and, uh, he's became more of a coach to others. I mean, basically he, he enjoys seeing some of the younger, uh, wrestlers come up in the local area and, and getting them to a higher level is really something I think he enjoys on a daily basis, working with those kids and, and, and having them, you know, look up to him is something I think he's enjoyed. So he's just changed again. I think he's seen it at a, earlier time than me um that you know all the money and effort you know putting into this flat track world you know it, it takes a pretty big you know financial backing to even think that you can go and compete uh especially in today's um you know age of racing and in my opinion right on i get it so those other bears maybe long lost cousins or uncles or grandparents or something <laughs> somewhere down the road because they're all spelled the same way but uh, that's pretty interesting stuff um what I'll riders did you the family tree yeah, you better. So what <laughs> riders did you uh, look up to when you were just getting started and growing up? You know, honestly, we always used to all, I mean, even today, we all look up to the guys that are winning. You know, we, yeah, so today you, you ask some kids that in the local area and they, they say Jared Meese or, you know, they said, you know, Kenny Coolbeth for years there or Chris Carr and stuff like that. But for me, um, you know, Kevin Barnes was that guy. But uh, my biggest probably – idol throughout my whole career, especially getting started was Kenny Yoder. Um, he built a lot of his own stuff. He went racing, you know, he worked hard at what he did and, uh, he did it on a credit card. I mean, he did it probably the way that maybe you would say is the wrong way, but you know, he, he just went from week to week. And, and I know when he was done racing, um, you know, I know that he wasn't in the best financial state, but he had a lot of fun and he made a lot of memories and he laid up, he made a lot of great friends. And, uh, that's something to me that I'll never forget. That'll, that'll always stick with me no matter what I'm doing. Did you, uh, are you friends with him? Did you travel with him at all or anything? Yeah. Um, yeah. Jared, Jared 
traveled with him in from here from Pennsylvania um, to a lot of the nationals I did. I mean, he more or less was just a guy that was always looking for someone just to tag along with or to tag along with him. Um, so, yeah, I traveled with him. Um, you know, growing up, my dad, you know, always had guys riding bikes and stuff for him. And um, Ken Yoder was one of those guys that rode for him uh, back in the road tax days um, when he got his first, first got his pro-am license. So, so I had a longer, you know, relationship than just, you know, getting started into this flat track world. It was more or less like he was a, I wouldn't say like a, a feeling of an uncle or something, but he, he definitely was somebody that I was around a lot. And, and, you know, you just felt like more or less after you started traveling with him, he was, he was more or less a brother. He had your side and, and he would definitely not, you know, guide you in the wrong direction. You know, he might pick on you or give you some crap sometimes, but he never would, uh, you know, leave you astray. I remember running his van out of, out of fuel, leaving Springfield. Um, he told me always to run it until like it got down on the, you know, onto uh, E and, uh, you know, if you, if you stop early, you'd have to drive farther. You know, he had some dumb rules and stuff, but, uh, so I ran it until it was on E and then, uh, he told me the light would come on and I'd have a little ways. Well, the the light came on. I didn't have very long at all. And I had to wake him up and he didn't yell, scream, didn't do anything. Um, you know, and everybody that knows Ken Yoder, he's, he's not the smallest dude in the pit area that, you know, we all raced against, but, uh, he definitely was one of the nicest, nicest, kindest hearted people, but he also at the same time, just, uh, always just tried to, to make it fun. So I think that that rule more or less was just to, to see if you'd listen to him. There you go. I love it. Running out of gas. We I've done that a couple of times myself and <laughs> what killed me is putting race fuel in the gas tank, you know, the van just to get down to the next stop or whatever we had to do. You know, if we didn't have any generator gas, we just had to use some race fuel and that was the hardest thing yeah. to do to, you know, you know, back then it was probably seven dollars a gallon. I don't even remember, but just pouring that in the gas tank of the van just really hurt a lot. So no, we we, I, we would have probably put race gas in it, but the problem is with these diesels these days. As far as that, it's just um, we had to get towed to an advanced auto, and then we changed the fuel oh. filter and uh, we primed it and all that stuff. So it was like the middle. It was like probably I would say one o'clock in the morning before we actually got back on again. And uh, you know, either way, he was he was wide awake then, just making jokes, having fun. But you know, it was just one of those things that he never really picked on me after that year. But uh, you know, he he would bring it up there for a while, so it was kind of funny. Yeah, you'll never forget it, that's for sure. So, when was your <laughs> first race? My first race as a like when I first started. Yep, exactly. When I first okay, yeah. When I first got into um, flat track racing, it was. 1991 was my first race. I was five years old, and it was on a JR Suzuki. So it was oh. a Trailway Speedway. Okay. And uh, that's a that's a pretty well known track here in the East Coast. Not again. Um, you know, we used to have ten races a year there, and now we, you know, I think this past year, I think with rainouts and stuff, I'm not even sure. I think they only got one of those in. So. Wow. And I think there was only about 40 riders there. So it's really just number wise has just dropped off. So is that a short track or a TT? Oh, it's a short track. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a bigger quarter mile. It's not a, you know, it's not extremely, you know, extremely big, but, uh, more or less like a paperclip, a lot like, uh, a small Williams Grove. Okay. So what kind of tracks did you learn to ride on? Were they pea gravel or did you have clay tracks or ovals or no, the, they were, I mean, pretty much uh, the only thing that I ever really ever was interested in running, I ran a couple of TTs when I was younger and stuff and really never enjoyed them. Just wasn't my thing. And, you know, growing up on all the, the clay race tracks and, uh, you know, the one line grooves, I, I, it's funny, but 
I would say today I'm probably not known as a guy that is, you know, going to be a real big threat on something like that. I mean, if it's going to take, you know, following the guy in front of me, I'm just not interested in doing that. And I feel like, you know, when we get to those racetracks where it's got more than one line or, you know, you can take it somewhere else, that's, that's more or less, you know, where I've, where I've, you know, uh, I guess changed my ways as I got older. Right on. What's your favorite racing memory all time? I would have to say, I don't remember the year, but Chillicothe, Ohio, um, I had a provisional. It's when I first got my national license as far as when I actually got my GNC license. I was running under a provisional, and I was running fourth. Uh, Chris Carr, Kevin Atherton, and Johnny Murphy were the top three. I was running fourth, and I remember it was shortly after the halfway flags came out broke a rocker arm and I was always told if, you know, if you're in the national and you're running good and you know, this is my father's equipment. Um, he said, you can run it until it doesn't run no more. Um, uh. so I ran it and it kept running. Uh, it got loud and then got quiet, but then it lost a lot of power. So, um, I started fading and I remember the last person that passed me was like the white flag lap. He's looking over at me, Jake Johnson, like he always does just, you know, flailing around acting like he's goof and, you know, I'm trying as hard as I can because it it's not going anywhere. But uh, those are back whenever we were still running the road taxes and stuff. And uh, more or less when the uh, the production bikes were coming onto the scene, uh, Jake was on a on a 450, you know, production bike. And that was whenever we was, you know, it was a dry, slick day and, you know, wasn't probably working the best. But uh, either way, that was, a, that was a pretty cool memory. Um, to me, just because it was, uh, you know, I was, I was new onto the scene. Um, and at the same time, we were still riding, in my opinion, we were still riding tracks and bikes that were really cool, um, that made flat track what it was. Yeah, nothing like a road tax, that's for sure. So <laughs> what was it about flat track motorcycle racing that appealed to you? To me, I mean, I guess just being around it, um, you know, I think about that a lot. I've, you know, it's, it's after I more or less got started, it was more or less like an addiction to me. I mean, it's just something that, I liked the feeling that I got while I was on the racetrack, um, you know, and, and I never really wanted to to stop after I started. So I would say it just has to do with the, the speed and, and the feeling you get on the motorcycle that, you know, I can't get on the street, you know, so and, and pavement racing or motocross or any of those other disciplines just really never appealed to me like flat track does. The feeling that you get whenever you're, you know, sending off in the corner, you know, at close to 100 mile an hour, a little over 100 mile an hour, depending on what track you're on. And then um, obviously the goal is just to keep it in line, but the feeling of it is, is that you're out of control. So I guess I just really like that feeling. My, uh, you know, as a young kid, I didn't obviously do that on a, on a JR Suzuki, but, uh, as I was capable of doing that, um, farther along in my career, it's just something that I, you know, I strive to do. And after I could do it, I just never really wanted to stop. I gotcha. So did you try motocross or road racing or did you just say, no, I'm sticking to dirt track? really i never really did anything road racing to an extent to the point where i was on anything worthwhile um and motocross you know when you say you went and did a hair scramble or whatnot but i really never um i want to say put any energy towards that so i really probably never was doing it at the right level so trying it and no i never really raced that you know discipline i never actually went that route um so trying some stuff like that riding at home and playing in the woods and stuff like that but really honestly after i got you know, older and started taking care of more of my own stuff, it was, I had to go to work or I wasn't going to be able to go the following weekend. Cause 
um, you know, it's, it's one of those things when you, when you grow up in a, a family organization where it's, you know, your, your dad and mom are pretty much paying for everything. It comes down to the fact that whenever they start telling you, well, if you want to go to the local races this weekend, you're going to have to pay for your sign up. You know, when you go to the local race and you say, well, I want to run all three or four classes, you know, <laughs> that would cost right. you 100, 150 bucks, depending on what you're doing. So I had to have that money every weekend. And, you know, I remember the first $45 I made at Cumberland, Maryland um, on a road tax. I think I finished fifth or something like that in the expert class, and I got like $45. It was nothing great. But that $45, I thought, paid for a crap load of stuff for weeks to come because I'd be like, well, you know, I got fifth the other week. You know, what do we do with that money? You know, but that was just – it was, a you know, a drop in the bucket for what we were really spending going racing. But uh, – and, you know, I learned at a young age to – I think I was probably 13 maybe, you know, 13, 14, something like that on a road tax at a half mile. And, you know, I just thought, you know um, – Obviously, this isn't going to probably, you know, I'm probably not going to make a living at this, but I always had the dream that, you know, I could figure it out and that, you know, that I could do this, that I could actually make this, you know, a lifestyle for myself. You know, years went by and stuff. And recently, I've just come to the conclusion of people ask me all the time, you know, why don't you run the whole series? And, you know, I just pick the races that are fun to me. And the amount of money that that cost is enough that I can be willing to spend that and, uh, and, and, and go lose it if that happens or, you know, if something goes wrong, but the odds you want to go, you know, in your favor and you make the national and it pays for itself. And that's always been my goal. Um, since I started my own team, which is, you know, that I can actually go to the races and, you know, make the national and it, and it helps pay for the trip where I don't have to figure out where I'm going to get the money from next week or, uh, come home and, you know, pay for everything as far as tires, oil and upkeep on the motorcycle or whatnot. But worst case scenarios happened the last couple of races of this year where I come home and the, you know, the motor's junk. So you, you pretty much, you know, remove that motor and you put another one in cause you have, you know, a couple sitting here and, and then you go to the next race and the same thing happens. But, you know, I, I, ha- I found a weak spot in, uh, in this engine and, and I'm, you know, to, to be competitive with it, you have to be willing to take it to its limit or it's, it's not, a uh, it's not worth going. Absolutely. We'll talk a little bit more about the KTM here in just a second, but you've, you've run as a privateer, you know, most of your career. Talk a little bit about the people who have helped you, you know, get to race to race and, and who's, who's got your back. I mean, you always have some, some nice people, some great people actually in your corner at the races. So talk about who's helped you get to these races. Yeah. I mean, recently with, you know, the KTM, um, you know, for the past five years, um, my cousins pretty much, been willing to, you know, the drop of a hat, just been willing to get in the van with me and go to anything I want to go to with him being an auto mechanic, um, that, you know, and, and owning his own business, he he's capable of being able to just schedule things, um, you know, work extra for four nights in a row and then be able to leave on a, you know, a Thursday night or a Friday and be gone all weekend. So, you know, my, my cousin's probably one of the biggest supporters that, you know, a lot of people probably don't know about behind the scenes, but he'll help me do anything with building an engine. I mean, when it came to the, you know, it was three years ago. Now I built my own frame that I've actually been racing in with the KTM. He, we built that frame in his garage. You know, he stayed up for nights on end with me. You know, I, I'd go to work, I'd come, I'd come to his shop and, and we'd work on that thing until two, three in the morning. I would sleep for a couple hours in my van and I go to work again and do that continuously until we got that thing done. So recently that's somebody that's, you know, just, he, he deserves a lot of the credit on, on anything that I had any success on. 
Um, but you know, my parents, like a lot of us racers talk about, you know, they've been there my, my whole career, no matter, you know, the ups and downs we've had, but, uh, Going back earlier in my career, um, when I first came onto the scene, I was running the Harley-Davidson stuff. Uh, I ran the A3 sports performance class. Um, Battlefield Harley-Davidson was a big backer of mine, and uh, that led me to uh, Bob Barry, which is uh, a guy that's you've been been in the you know flat track world, worked with Terry Poovey for a couple of years, um, and then Ricky Winsett, and that's actually how I met um, Bob Barry. Uh, Ricky Winsett was riding for him when he won the Daytona short track. And, uh, and then I got hooked up with them guys. And, um, that led me to babe to may to run the Yamaha deal for a little bit. And, uh, that was around 2008 to 2009. And then, uh, in 2010, I went and ran the triumphs for uh, the Gately brothers. And I ran that for 2010 and 2011. And that was a, a great experience for me. Um, you know, I learned a lot with them guys and, and they helped me get to a lot. And then, uh, you know, from there, I went and rode Kawasaki's for my dad in 2012 and 13. And, uh, you know, my best year of my whole career was in 2012. I made every national that I went to on the twin. And uh, other than I think, I think I missed Sacramento that year, but I finished 16th in points. And, uh, um, you know, the whole way through all of that, you know, dad was in and out, you know, helping, you know, telling me what he thought. and. And then I, you know, decided to, to try that next step with him, which was the KTM deal. And that more or less was when we talked to, you know, uh, Dave from uh, the auto, uh, uh, the Waters auto body, auto body team. Um, and I mean, he, he was, uh, you know, he, he gave me a chance to ride the KTM at one of the local races here at York um, at one of the all-star races. And uh, when I rode that bike, I, it wasn't even really running right. And it was a carbureted model. And, uh, even with it spitting and sputtering and acting funny, it still had tons of power. And I was like, this is kind of the way we should head. It's big, but, um, it, it, it's got plenty of power. So, you know, and I still had the, you know, the idea that I wanted to someday own my own equipment and make my own decisions. And for me, the KTM was that, um, that bike that I figured I could build it. And, you know, it, it would have the power already. I wouldn't have to try to find the power. So based off of the rules and, you know, all that, it, it met all the rules that I needed it to meet all these years. And, uh, you know, recently with me trying to get more out of it and do things in a different way, not more power, but where I had the power at, um, you know, I, I, I've been turning them a lot harder now and now I've been having cam chain issues. So I, I can't keep, um, I can't keep the cam chain, um, guides, I want to say, um, tight enough to keep the cam chain in line. So it more or less, you know, curls off and, and, and breaks the cam chain because it can't, um, take the RPM that I'm turning out of it now. Wow. You sound like you're, you're very in tune with your motorcycle and your engine. So did you go to school to learn how to be a mechanic? I mean, or, or you have a job, aren't you a, a machinist right now? Aren't you? Yeah, I'm a machinist by trade. Um, never went to school for that. I mean, I sat on countertops at uh, my dad's work ever since I was about two to three years old, um, you know, having to watch him work and uh, really never really thought that was going to be what I'd end up doing. Um, and, and it's one of those things that's sort of like racing. People say, you know, well, it'll just start clicking for you one day. And I can remember when I started at the machine shop, you know, out of high school 
thinking this isn't really where I want to be and what I want to do. Um, you know, and my dad was my, my foreman. Um, so he was in charge of what I was doing and how things were going. And, and he wasn't always the nicest and easiest person to work with, but, uh, I think he knew what I needed to learn and, and he was hard on me in those areas. And, uh, I guess what I'm trying to say from that is, is one day, it just seemed like I went to work and things just started happening, you know, reading prints and making things happen and running CNC machines. And, you know, it just, things started getting easier. And, uh, now it's like, it's just a way of life. I mean, uh, I took a big leap. Um, the end of last year, I decided I wanted to better myself and make more, um, you know, more money. So I went and, and changed jobs and changed shops and my dad's no longer my boss, but, uh, you know, I moved on to another shop and that's been pretty scary because they got different machines and they build different things. So, um, this whole year has been, been a challenge to me, um, seeing the sport I love change. And at the same time, changing my life where, I bought a house and I'm, you know, I'm now required to work more or less is where I put myself. So (laughs) it's been a, it's been a life-changing experience for the last 365 days. I mean, coming up on December 16th, when I closed on the house last year and I, I had my, my new job at that time. So November 20th is going to be my anniversary for the, the new job. But, uh, it's been, it's been trying certain days and it's been weird. Um, and it's not all been fun. But uh, I do think it's for for a better future for myself. Um, And that's kind of the way I guess I have to look at it if I'm going to keep trying to go forward. Man, I love it. I love your attitude on everything. And and I just want to give you a – you know, props for making main events. I counted I counted five different motorcycles that you were talking about: a KTM, Kawasaki, Yamaha, Triumph. You made you know main events on the Harley, even if it's a Sportster series. So, man, my hats off to you. Every bike you rode, you made main events on. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean it's it's been a it's been fun. I mean, and you know, honestly, I don't know where next year's going to, you know, end up for me as far as, you know, uh brands because obviously we know what the rules changed um going into 2019 that that obsoletes my program, which is a bummer to me because I obviously, you know, started and invested into this thinking about, you know, guys that I looked up to as mechanics. Um you know, at a young age, you know, guys like Eddie Atkins, that's still messing around with an XR 750. You know, I was planning on being that guy one day where I was going to still be messing around with this bike. And maybe I'd find somebody else that might love racing as much as I do that wants to just take this thing and take it onto the racetrack. And I could be still a big part of it, but my dreams of that have kind of dwindled sooner than I ever really wanted them to. At the same time with my racing career, having so much money invested already in this, and the frame already being a, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of hard to take another motor and just shove it into a frame and then go out there and compete with something that obviously has, you know, the makings like an Indian, you know, that's purposely built. And, uh, you know, those guys are fine tuning everything. And, you know, there is some cool stuff with the fact of the production class. Um, you know, I don't know all the rules of that yet. Um, and I'm not sure they have them all, you know, fine tuned yet, but, it's it's kind of a bummer to be you know working to get to the top level and then more or less having to take a a step back um and think about maybe going to the lower class you know but at the same time not seeing you know that they're going to probably meet i mean we don't know that yet but the the purse payouts and and where the sponsorship will come from for another class um you know yes uh flat track racing um as a whole american flat track has a I think it has a bright future. Um, I think that 
it's it, it obviously has a lot of momentum headed in the right direction. Um, there are a lot of things I'm not real happy with, but I try to look at the positives of it and see good things in it. And uh, there's there's amazing talent there right now, um, you know. But at the same time, is there enough of that talent to carry a sport? I, I don't know that. I mean, with guys like Kubeth leaving and a couple years before that, Carr leaving, you know, yeah, they're you know, Carr's still a part of it, but um, I, I don't know. I it's it's not like back in the the Ronnie Jones days of you know you had you had 15 different guys that could have won on any given day um, with the way it was set up. Now, granted, it seemed like Scotty Parker was the one that always, you know, um, came out on top the majority of the time um, there for a long time, but it was still interesting at the miles. There was a lot more passing going on and I feel the racing was just more interesting at that time. Um, I don't know if it was track conditions or if it was more or less that, technology's taken over and it's made the whole racing line so much skinnier. I mean, I, there's a lot of you know variables there that we could, you know, talk about for a long time and, and maybe not really even ever come up with an answer. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you 100%. I actually looked at my notes after cool Beth retired. There's only 12 national numbered riders that will show up at any weekend right now that have won a grand national. So 12 out of everybody that's racing, I think that's kind of slim. And like you said, there'd be 15 that would make a main event each weekend that could, that had won a national. So I don't know what, what the answer is either, but, uh, you know, changing the rules, like you said, a few moments ago, downsizing the motor size from six, you know, down to 649 to 900 CC. So that leaves your motorcycle out. So have you thought about racing it anywhere else next year? Um, you know, it's, it's something that I was actually thinking about doing this year. And if I would have had my passport, I probably would have headed off to Canada a lot sooner, just seeing some of the venues that they have, um, going on up there. Um, you know, with, uh, flat track live actually being a part of, you know, broadcasting a little bit of theirs the best they can. The tracks look phenomenal. Um, they look like they're doing a great job. And, you know, when it comes to more of a, a cushion based series. I want to say that is, um, I feel like the racing is so much more interesting. Um, they don't have as many tight rules. No, again, we have to talk about purse. If you're going to go and race, you know, these, these motorcycles, um, we do it because we love it. But at the same time, if you can't put anything back in your bank account to help get on down the road, it's not really beneficial to do it more than a couple times a year. Like I already do now. Um, it's, you know, if you're a top guy um, getting sponsorship from either a factory or, or you're winning races, um, it obviously helps. I mean, it's, it's gonna, you know, that's what racing's all, that's what it's based on. I mean, and that's something that obviously we all wake up, you know, at a young age thinking that that's, that's where we're going to be one day, or we're going to be a Scotty Parker. We're going to be a Ricky Graham, or we're going to be a Jared Meese these days. Um, I'll be, I'll be truthful. I mean, that kid's got a ton of talent um, and he's got, unlimited amount of resources i mean those all those things put in one um makes him one difficult dude to beat along with you got briar Baum and you got um brian smith you know you got you know jeffrey carvery jake jake johnson it's just it the list goes on there's still a lot of great talent but the big thing is is how do you compete with the amount of money that's being spent that's that's where i'm at so canada is is looking like a, a place that I could end up just because the motorcycles capable of being ran there and, uh, and the racetracks look cool. So, I mean, no matter if it's a thousand dollars or $3,000 to win, um, I can see myself going up there, you know, a, a handful of times next year and, and seeing where that goes. Um, 
And with the talk of having a twins class, uh, an only twins class taking place in Canada makes that more appealing because we all know that a road tax can outdo a twin at certain places. Um, you know, and, and if you're going to go and do that, we've, you know, we've had those competitions before and sometimes the twin wins and sometimes the road tax wins. But, um, you know, if you're going to be wanting to run a twin, um, which I enjoy riding the most, uh, you want to go and try to compete against people that are on um, the same, the same type motorcycles, no matter if it's a, a 750 or a 1000 CC engine. Um, in my opinion, I like what they did. That's one thing I do like about what they did with uh, American flat track this year. They, they put a limit on it as far as the, uh, the CC size. Now, you know, I don't know where that's going to leave the sport with the fact of Harley Davidson and Indians still the purposely built engine. And they're going to be a 750 running against a 900 CC production bike. Um, in my opinion, some people could say, well, that doesn't seem fair. That's what fans been telling me for, for years now that, you know, it's not fair. You can run your 990 against a 750. And the bottom line is, is in my opinion, just like I'm making now is racing is a choice. And, um, I chose the 990 because I could afford the bike. And at the same time, the power is already there. So yeah, there's times I'm in the middle of the corner and I'm in somebody's way. And there's some times that I'm heading down the straightaway and I pass four guys in one straightaway, but it's not the ultimate bike to race or you would think other people would be racing it. I mean, that's one of the biggest things that I always try to make a point is, um, you know, Jeffrey Carver has the right to build a KTM 990 and race it. Also, he chose to make the choices he's made in his career because he was obviously trying to make the best ones for himself. And he had opportunities that have arose and, and have happened. And, and he's had an awesome career. He has rode, um, the 1000 CC engine. And I haven't seen him want to repeat that week in and week out. And there's a reason why they're not the best bike to ride. Um, I would say more times than not. What's the biggest challenge of riding something like the KTM? Is it because it's big and heavy and doesn't handle, or is it because you don't get much seat time or what, what's been your biggest challenge? I would say it's probably a little bit of everything. I mean, honestly, um, you know, I, I feel as though, you know, I've had great opportunities in my career and I, and I'm happy with what I've done. Um, you know, just went and had fun with what I've spent. I know what I spent going and doing it. So I actually can say I, you know, at times I felt like I was broke, but I would say that, you know, with the bike being, um, big and heavy, I mean, I go across the scale at about 350. Um, so it is a heavier motorcycle, but I've seen some of the Indians weigh a little bit more too. Um, I would say, you know, if I was going to keep doing this, you know, I'd have to look into the fact of doing something with a, a wiring system of some sort where um, it's got somewhat of a built-in ability for RPM trash control, um, kind of based like the, uh, you know, the Indian has that kind of ability in its wiring. So I would say that I wouldn't say it's the answer, but I'd say at some tracks where I have issues that I had have had some success, it would make that better, but it's still not going to be a Williams Grove or a Hagerstown or, you know, any small half mile kind of bike. Um, and in, in the early years of the Ducati, you know, um, I think that was proven. I mean, we really haven't seen the Ducati ever, you know, come onto the scene, you know, whenever, you know, Larry Pegram was riding it or, you know, even Brad Baker, I mean, he made it look good at numerous races, um, you know, and most of those were bigger tracks. But as far as like 
any kind of clay half mile or anything smaller, that would not been, you know, one of the picks that, you know, a guy like him would have made for a long period of time because they're not fun motorcycles to race because of the power they do have. And at the same time, you can detune it, but then you still have that weight. So I've done both. I've tried, I've tried, you know, having less horsepower and, and at certain places, that's great. Um, but at most of the miles, you're, you, you lose so much in the center of the corner that you have to try to gain it all back up on the straightaway. Well, then that sends you off into the corner too fast. And then you have other issues. So there's like a happy medium, um, you know, with horsepower that I found works pretty decent, but at the same time, um, do I ever think that KTM could get a win? Um, yeah, I'm not going to say that they won't, um, because obviously that 790 looks pretty appealing, but it needs a, we need a couple years so they can start showing up on eBay and, uh, we can buy one for uh, 1500 bucks. Like I did mine, but, uh, it's just one of those things that we got to let the wheel kind of do its, uh, rotation before we decide what we're really going to do, I guess, in the future. I got you. So I've heard in the past before just talking to you random times. I don't know if I've stopped by on, on my pit walk or, or whatnot, but I think talking to you, you've actually machined some of the parts on your own motorcycle. Do you still do that? Um, I haven't recently, um, since I built the KTM, um, and, and you know, I, I, if you look at the rear wheels that are on the actual Indians and stuff like that, the weighted wheels, if you go back, if you go back about five years ago when I built the first KTM, um, that's when I built the first weighted wheel. And that design obviously looked like it must have worked because now it's been copied. Um, so the Indian guys have that and, uh, and, and they've been using it. Now, granted, they have different ones that have different weights. I have one weight and it's pretty much to the 40 pound limit. And uh, I think they have ones that are 35 and 38. I think, I think Jared looks like he has one for every pound from 30 to probably 40. <laughs> so, um, and, and that's cool. I mean, that's what it takes to go racing at this level. And, and Jared has just basically raised the bar higher than where, um, you know, Brian Smith's team did back when he was running the Kawasaki. I mean, honestly, I think that's where that's going to happen again, where they're going to go and do their homework and, and they're going to raise the bar even higher. So where's the bar going to stop and, and what's, you know, going to be the answer. I would say that Brian's going to be somebody to, you know, to watch in 2019, because I think they're going to go and do their homework with this Kawasaki that they're deciding to, to go back to, um, you know, but if they're going to be able to make that thing a 900, in any way, shape, or form, I would say that that's going to be pretty cool. Yeah. So just quickly, for the people that don't know, that aren't mechanically inclined like some of us, maybe myself, the heavier rear wheel, the reason for that is less wheel spin coming off the corner, correct? Yeah, It's it's uh, it also helps keep the rear wheel planted. I mean, the rear end planted, um, you know, even on some of, depending on where the, the roughness comes in the, into, you know, as far as the racing, as far as the racing line, if, you know, you got, if you got holes entering off into the corner, I can't really say that it's the best thing for you because anytime the rear wheel wants to come off the ground, um, you know, you're not getting slowed down and you're not getting turned, but it, as far as underneath throttle load and, and actually I would say apex of the corner and off, I mean, it's obviously been a really big, um, I want to say a needed thing. Um, 
there are certain guys that go out there and don't seem like they have the heavy wheel on, but there's some special wheels getting made that maybe are heavy and we don't know it. So, you know, with us actually having a, a weight limit, um, you know, maximum, I, I want to say that that's actually, you know, it's probably a good thing because, you know, we've all tried the heavy swing arms. We tried the heavy frames. We tried moving weight around, but I mean, honestly, the rear wheel is, is rotating mass. So yeah, in the end of, you know, all the conversation, it's really basically for traction. Man, I love your insights and, and your openness to talk to us about it. I really love it and I appreciate it. Uh, we're in the episode or the part of the episode now where it's time for Graham's question. And her question is, have you ever thought about racing sprint cars? Uh, I've thought about it. Um, and honestly, it's, that's a whole nother passion of mine. Um, just because of when you go to a sprint car race, you know, honestly, when you ask me the question about what is it about flat track racing that has always been so intriguing to me and got me started and fired up, it was the sound of the XR 750 back in the day when I was a kid, you go to the races and you hear the, you know, the seven fifties and stuff run. It was the sound for sprint car racing. For me, it's a sound, it's a feeling, it's all the senses, um, that a person can get all in one. And I would say I've thought about it, but as far as going and watching it or having a love for, for a four wheel, um, sport, I'd say sprint car racing is at the top. Um, and you know, uh, I have a grandfather that comes from car world. I have cousins that race, um, in the car world. So it's, it's something that I, I do have, um, history in. I recently have purchased a racing simulator. Um, and I race on iRacing. Um, so I don't know if, you know, you're familiar with that Scotty or not, but, uh, you can Mm -hmm. get a lot of the same sensations that you get from racing. Um, basically sitting in the basement at my house, you know, so that's the reason I did it is because I don't know where my future lies as far as grand national flat track racing, but I know for me, racing is a feeling. And if I can get that feeling, to happen a couple, you know, times throughout the week, or, you know, at least once a week, I can get that out of my system and I can go on with my life and I can go to work every day and I can be somewhat happy, but without yeah. racing, I'm not really sure I'm going to be a real happy camper. <laughs> yeah, I get it. I, I get it. I go to some of these tracks <laughs> and from my point of view, I just, I'm not happy when I leave the track just because it looks like you guys are having so much fun, but I get it. And, and I miss it too, but uh, I think I'm going to have to move in with you because I want to try that simulator. <laughs> well, and, and I don't know, um, Paul Lynch actually is somebody that talked about it a long time ago. And then recently in my sister's wedding, I was talking to Jake Johnson about it. And, uh, he said, you know, he said, yeah, I went to Paul's house and he said, I sat down in that thing. He said, I, I, I got up and he said, my arms were sore and he said, I was all sweaty. And, and honestly, it's true. I mean, you can get really into it and you can set the steering wheel and everything to the fact that it's, it's, it'll tear it out of your hands if you get in the wall. So it's, uh, it's cool, but it's nothing like throwing your helmet on your leathers on and actually, you know, throwing your leg over a, a flat track bike. I mean, there is, there's two different feelings there. I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to fulfill that one, but, uh, I'm still hoping that, uh, you know, you hope that, you know, something comes together for 2019 or, you know, you get some brainiest idea that's going to be a good one, but I'm kind of just at a standstill right now with, um, you know, thinking what the best option is, you know, what should I spend my time doing? Um, you know, I, I'm still tinkering with, you know, motor stuff. And, you know, I obviously tore apart the motors. I blew up at the end of the year. I blew up my father's motor there at, uh, um, in Meadowlands in New Jersey there. And, uh, you know, I, I feel bad about it, but I'm not sure 
really why we're having, you know, failures all right now. I mean, his, his motor, his motor was tired. Um, you know, my motors were, were new, but I blew up two of them at the end of the year. And, and I'm, I'm really, other than that cam chain issue, you know, I'm just at a standstill with the fact that maybe I have to turn the RPMs back down and just, just ride them the way that we were running them before. I think you're just riding them too hard. I mean, that's what it sounds like, but uh, man, I definitely appreciate your time before we wrap things up. It's time for our rapid fire questions. So whatever comes to mind first, that's what I want to hear. So the first question is what is your favorite motorcycle you've ever ridden? XR 750. Okay. What's your favorite track all time? To coin Illinois mile. Okay. What's the best advice you've ever received? Man, that's a that's a hard one. <laughs> um, to never give up on something that you love. I mean, that's probably the best advice I've ever gotten. Right on. So here's a tough one for you. If Ohio State and Pitt are playing, who are you cheering for? Probably Pitt. Okay. I thought you were going to say, like, the concession stand or you didn't care who won <laughs> that game or something. <laughs> I, really, um, I really don't. I really don't care. But there you go. if we have there to you pick. Go. There you go. All right. So Dave Despain always had this question on his talk show. What are you most proud of? I'd have to say, um, I'd have to say just the relationship that I built over the years, um, racing motorcycles. I mean, that's probably the thing I'm most proud of. I mean, uh, as far as the racing in itself is, is more or less a self gratifying thing. So I would say that the, you know, the, the memories I built with the people that have been a part of, what I've loved doing. It's been really cool. That part. Well, that's all I got, Sean. Thank you so much for your time. Before we let you go, do you want to say thanks to anyone? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, Sean bear racing is, uh, you know, basically owned by me and, uh, you know, I pretty much fund everything myself, you know, a couple few sponsors. I mean, I have a great family behind me and a lot of friends and fans, you know, Schaefer's motorsports has been a big backer since I started on the KTM project, you know, Dennis Schaefer came to me, you know, in a roundabout way and then started back in my program. And it's been a cool uh, experience now with his daughter taking the, the dealership over um, now with his passing and stuff. And, uh, you know, hope to continue my relationship with them um, along with uh, Pete and Corey Teasdale from Teasdale uh, Competition Race Engines, uh, Straight Arrow Trucking, uh, Piper Machine. Uh, that's the place of my employment. Um, McNews Automotive, uh, where all the where all the bikes get dynoed and, uh, you know, we get all the bugs worked out of them before we get to the racetrack. JT Motorsports, Woody's Welding, my two cousins, Ed and Eric Hollenbach. Uh, Rye Helmets has been a, you know, supporter of mine since the beginning of my pro career. Um, Jim uh, Auto Body, he's painted all my bikes, webcam shafts, which is where I get the majority of the, the KTM power from. Ditzler's Meats, um, Rottweiler Performance, Vortex Racing, Evans Coolant. Uh, West Coast Hot Shoes, Canon Filters, Motion Pro, uh, Kim's Creation, which does a lot of my printing for all the, the design stuff I do for the bikes and uh, for other people. And then, um, you know, a new one that came on board uh, recently is uh, Ryan Greth at uh, 600 Performance. Um, and I hope to, to pick up um, that relationship and carry it further with, uh, you know, future um, plans and, and hopes, I guess, um, is where I can let that. And uh, I'm sure I've missed some people that have helped me along the way, and I've stayed at people's houses along the way, and people that have thrown me a couple dollars here and there, and it, it means a lot to uh, to be able to, you know, do what I've done so far and hopefully uh, can continue to do in uh, years to come. Man, thank you so much for your time, and we look forward to seeing you in 2019 and beyond, man. Thank you so much. All right, thank you.
so there's that. I hope, uh, who was it? Evan Anders? Is that the guy that, that wanted the Sean Bear interview? Yeah, he reached out to me on Instagram, actually, okay. and sent me a message a long time ago wanting Sean Bear on the program. And we we tried getting him on for a few weeks, and I'm glad we finally got to secure him and, and, and talk to him. Evan, if you're listening, man, hope you liked the interview as much as we did. Absolutely. And, and that, that KTM that he rides, man, that has to be a handful. I know back in the day I rode a TDM 850 Yamaha, which we had bumped it up a little bit bigger. So it's bigger, it's heavier, you can feel it, and you have to try to move the weight around just like Sean explained in his interview, but just trying to hook up the horsepower on that Yamaha was was hard. I can't imagine what he's trying to hook up on that KTM. It sounds like they've got even more horsepower, so trying to get the horsepower hooked up to the ground and then try to make it handle in the corners, I think is the biggest struggle for that bike. Uh, it's unfortunate that he won't be able to race that next year at the Grand Nationals, you know, but maybe he'll be riding at some Steve Nace races or, like he said, maybe going up and venturing up to Canada. Well, like he said, he's a racer and he's he wants to race, so I'm sure he'll be doing something you know, along the lines in some capacity. We need to make a bucket list because now we've already talked about the Moto Beach Classic. We want to oh, do that boy. next year. We need to go to D-Day at Ride Organic there in Alton, Illinois. That's got to be on our bucket list. And now I want to go to Sean Bear's house and go in his basement and drive that <laughs> racing simulator. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. You should, you should definitely... Uh get one of those systems yourself so so when you go sprint car riding you, you know what you're doing sammy sabedra said i could i could get in one nice so that's awesome i'm gonna have to take the seat out because he's about a foot shorter than me but all right well i gotta wrap this up because i'm gonna go see the uh charlotte hornets whoop up on the thunder and then i have to no, edit this not, down that's tonight. not happening yeah so. it's totally gonna edit. you want to talk what about last week's talk? question yeah, what was last week's question Re- refresh my memory last week's question was who's your favorite rider and why yeah, this week's topic was great. It was really interesting hearing from Jared Mees. And uh, my favorite writer of all time is Doug Sale. And I'd really like to see an interview from you guys with either of the Sale boys. And uh, I guess that's about it. When he, I saw him ride in Calgary in 75, and holy smokes, fast, fast, fast. Uh, my favorite flashback is Danny Eswick. Because he's the only Oklahoma rider that is fast. Scotty, you need to have that Sammy Halbert on. Slamming Sammy. Dude's a riot and he's fast. Let's hear what he's got to say. Hey guys, this is Bubba Blackwell. Just wanted to give you a call and give you my opinion on my favorite rider. Back in the day, it was the crazy man from Virginia, number 57, Rusty Rogers. The human highlight reel. Had a lot of fun meeting that guy. Went to a couple of races with him. Absolutely insane motorcycle rider, but a damn nice guy. So there you go. That's my favorite. Hey, this is Jennifer. I'm just calling about my favorite flat track racer, and that would be Mr. Kenny Colbeth. My dad actually introduced me to him whenever um, told me all about flat tracking. And then I actually got to see him up close and personal on the track in Daytona, probably about four or five years ago. And I never got to experience that close of racing. And it has enthralled me ever since. And I just couldn't believe that you would pitch it sideways and still go that fast. So that's my favorite. Thank you. Just calling in, this is Graham. You all know who I am. Uh, I called in to tell you about my favorite rider, which is any rider that shows up at the racetrack simply because you all have the same reason, 
for being there. Love of the sport. To be as good as you can be, stay safe, and represent our sport. And off of the track, you have all shown me you are the best. I have seen all sides of this sport, good and bad, and love to watch you guys race. I guess as far as having a favorite, you're all my favorite riders. Love all of you. I hope your winter is great. Bye-bye. Can I chime in? Sure. My favorite rider growing up had to be Ricky Graham. Yeah. And it's because he could do things on a motorcycle that nobody ever could. Not to take away anything from our riders today or the riders of the past, but it has to be Ricky Graham. So, Carter, do, do you have a favorite rider? I don't know, man. I, I thought about this a lot, and I can't really pin it down to one. I, I, there's, I'm still new to the sport. I'm still learning about it. So I, I don't think I want to pick my favorite just yet. So what's our question for this week? I don't know. I, I, you were talking earlier about nicknames, and I like the idea of nicknames. Do you want to throw that out maybe for this week and see what's your favorite rider nickname or what's your favorite nickname for a rider? Yeah, let's do that because, you know, a lot of people actually ask me to give them nicknames. Well, I think for me to give somebody a nickname, I have to know their personality. I have to know where they're from, and it's it's not easy to do. I was given one earlier this year, and I was shot down by someone's mom, so I'm just going to leave it at <laughs> Which that. Which one was that? I can't tell you. Oh, but now, my, one of my favorites was Tanner Dean, the Dean Machine, who actually told us that on the podcast, which is great. He told us, yeah, he told us that it was like a family nickname, and I yeah. thought that was really cool. Uh, and he smiles I, every time when you're announcing it. I see him smiling. Oh, at, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That you know, and, and rider introductions for the main event is my favorite part because, well, I say my favorite part. It's got to be my favorite part of the race program. Yeah. My favorite part of the day is still the pit walk. Yeah. But as far as the race program rider introductions getting these guys and gals fired up to go on strap on their helmet and go to work uh man i love it it's giving me goosebumps right now see i try to get those riders fired up and i try to fire up the crowd too that's awesome well it's time for you to tell us your favorite riders nickname what is it rider nickname or rider nickname what's your favorite rider nickname of all time give us a call 904-395-5956 all you have to do is leave us a message. You don't have to say your name. Just give us your favorite rider's nickname. And we had a decent amount of people call this week, which is cool. I always love to hear their insight. And uh, Bubba Blackwell was a good called in. That was great. Yeah, uh, it was awesome to hear from him. Maybe what? we'll hear some new nicknames that I'm not even aware of. No, that's not possible. You know all the nicknames. What is your nickname? I can't tell you that. Clarence Carter. No, it's not Clarence Carter. Scott Dubler. I got to go watch the Hornets. I'm out. All right, man. Peace out. We'll talk to you next week, guys. Keep it on two wheels. Peace.